Welcome to Foothills Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Doug Peak. For more information about this podcast and other resources, please visit foothills.org. Well, welcome to Foothills Christian Church. I'm Douglas Peak. And if you're here for the first time or maybe new and visiting, uh, you're watching online, doing church at home, we want to invite you to be a part of our community of faith, a place where you can find a family and you can belong. All you have to do is uh, text FHNU to 72000, and that's one way to just anonymously get to know us better. Now, we're today going to start a brand new series called Story Book Endings. And the reason why is because it's a series on relationships. And whether you know it or not, Everybody right now today is writing a story when it comes to their relationships. It's up to you whether it's a storybook ending or a Greek tragedy, you know? Some people are writing a Cliff Notes. Some people are writing a Shakespearean guilt play, you know? And so our goal is to figure out how to write a story right now in order that the ending is what we would like or expect. And we're going to talk about all kinds of relationships. And the reason why is because we live in a postmodern deconstructionist society. You're going to hear me say that all the time. And you're going, what is that? Well, you can go online, YouTube, watch What in the Sam Hill is Postmodernism and Deconstructionism. And in 15 minutes, you'll be up to speed. But Nonetheless, it teaches us a way of thinking, and what, one of the aspects of the way we think is that we categorize our relationships, and what we don't realize is that all of our relationships are actually tied together. In other words, if you understand how to be a really, really good friend, then you're going to understand how to date well, and you're going to understand how to be married. Those are all connected. If you're a really good coworker right? And you understand how to be a good manager or boss or a good follower at work. That is what influences your parenting skills. They are connected. So we're going to look at the upstream principles that impact your relationships on the downstream. Now, what I'd like to do to start off a series is kind of build a little bit of a context about what we're talking about. And since we're talking about relationships, I just wanted to help let you realize that relationships are kind of like glue, right? This is Loctite, power grab, all purpose, man. This stuff is sweet. We'll glue about anything together, especially your brother's vans, you know. Um, what happens is parents are like, what are you telling my children to do? <laughs> yes, yes, I am. No, but, uh, you know, relationships are like glue, uh, what they do is they hold things together. Like if you're going through a really tough time, you're going through a difficulty or an obstacle, guess what? Sometimes it's your relationships that help keep you together and sustain you through those difficult times. But relationships just aren't glue. They're also oil. And uh, this is one of my favorite products. It's called WD-40. It can fix anything, including arthritis. And um, Lube anything up. You know what's here, here's something that's interesting about WD 40 is that they never patented it. Okay? And because they never patented it, nobody knows the formula on how it's made, so no one's been able to replicate it ever. Now that has absolutely nothing to do with what we're talking about, but hey, 
It's a factoid for you. You know, WD-40, love it. it what, in relationships, though, are like the, the oil or the lubricant of life, right? Uh, you can go through a really great time, you know, but if your relationships are, aren't going well, those good times, man, are just rough and difficult. But if your relationships are going really, really well, you can go through a difficult time and it just goes much better. Also, your relationships, if, you're, if you have good relationships at home, then you tend to have good relationships at your place of work. And so they're, they're interconnected. But what else a relationship is, is this, is that it is actually the container in which you experience life. It is the, from a philosophical standpoint, it is the paradigmatic construct by which you discover meaning and purpose in your life. In other words, it's basically the bucket where real stuff happens, right? So if you're working and you're having success, if, it, if the bucket of relationships is what makes all that success meaningful and worthwhile, if you're working uh, towards a college education or something like that to get started in life, it's your relationships that make all that work worthwhile. If you're uh, married and you're raising kids, it's your relationship, the family relationship that allows you to be a good parent and enjoy life. So relationships across the board influence us in such a positive way. And what's really important to understand is that when relationships are good, life can be filled with meaning and purpose. But when relationships aren't so good, everything you do, even if you are loaded with talent and success, it just doesn't work. Now, I love uh, football movies, and one of my favorites is Remember the Titans. And it's based on a true story of a high school in 1971 that was one of the first schools that tried to or started the process of integrating the black and white athletes together for the purpose of bringing a team together. So they go off, uh, Denzel Washington, one of my favorite actors, is uh, the head coach, and the previous head coach is now the defensive coordinator that works for him. And they go to a university for football camp for two or three weeks. And this team is loaded with talent, but guess what? They are not getting along. And so Denzel Washington wakes them up at 3 a.m. and takes them on a two-hour run, and this is where they end up. Anybody know what this place is? This is Gettysburg. This is where they fought the Battle of Gettysburg. 50,000 men died right here on this field, fighting the same fight that we're still fighting amongst ourselves today. This green field right here, it's painted red, bubbling with the blood of young boys, smoke, and hot lead pouring right through their bodies. Listen to their souls, man. They killed my brother with malice in my heart. Hatred destroyed my family. You listen. You take a lesson from the dead. If we don't come together, 
right now on this hollow ground, we too will be destroyed. Man, that's powerful. If we don't come together right now on this hollowed ground, we too will be destroyed. Relationships are so important. If you don't come together with your spouse on hollowed ground, your marriage will be destroyed. If you, if you can't come together with uh, your family and the way you're raising your kids and get on the same page, it too can be destroyed. If, you, if we can't come together as, uh, in a business where people uh, are getting along to work together towards a common mission for uh, uh, employment and prosperity for that company or business or whatever that endeavor is, if we can't come together, then that thing will be destroyed. If we can't come together uh, in our city with our relationships with other people, It'll be if our country can't come together, it ain't gonna be a country anymore. Are you getting the point? Relationships are more powerful than we could ever imagine, and they come in all shapes and sizes. And here, here's a group of people. They're not related to each other, but they're playing on a team towards a common mission. What about the love of a, a sibling, like a sister? You all know the movie Frozen, right? Hey, on three, let's all sing Let It Go Together, all right? One, two, three, let it... Just kidding, yeah, that's a joke. But what was it about? It really, it was about the love of a sister, right? And the power of that, that sibling bond that saved her. Or, or a, a movie, uh, by the way, I'm not recommending that you watch any of these, but I'm just throwing them out, and that is that Taken... You know, Liam Neeson goes to any length to save his daughter, right? A father's love for his daughter. Make any sacrifice to save her, and he does. Or what about the third Indiana Jones movie, The, the Last Crusade, right? Uh, Harrison Ford, Indiana Jones, is, is out there doing what with his dad? Trying to save, you know, the, find the Holy Grail. Uh, or what, what about being married, you know? Um, one of the, uh, I'm not really big into a lot of those Hallmark romance movies, just ask my wife, you know. I just go, it's the same plot, it's the same town, they just paint the porch different and put different actors in it, you know. Um, but, uh, but one that I really thought was hilarious was my big fat Greek wedding. That thing was hilarious, you know. What's so funny about that is frump girl, right? Frump girl, that's what she calls herself, I'm frump girl, you know. She, she starts to make some changes. She meets a guy, falls in love, and then when she, he introduces, they want to get married, they get engaged, and he introduces his Protestant parents, you know, to, his, to her family. And she's like, I don't have no idea how this is going to work, you know. But it just kind of gets into the humor of bringing families together. All of these things, all of these themes are archetypes in our life, meaning that they're hugely important and it's very consistent across the board. Why is it that all the movies we watch have relationships as a core plot? Why is it that relationships influence whether we're successful in business or not? Why is it that the quality of our family relationships determine whether we raise good kids and we enjoy our life? Why is it that the quality of our marital relationships makes a huge difference, not only on our physical health, but our spiritual health as well? Why is that? 
Well, the reason why is because it is in your nature. Let's see what the Bible has to say about it. Let's go to the very beginning, Genesis, which means the beginning. And in the first chapter, Moses is recording this, right? He's the author of the first five books of the Old Testament, all right? Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. You know when he wrote these? He wrote them in a tent during the 40 years they were in the wilderness after they left Egypt. So he's looking back. He's writing down what God told him to write down. And on the first 25 verses, he's creating the universe. You know, first there was light and dark, and then there were the stars and the suns and the planets, and then he separates the day and the night and the water from the land, and then he creates plants and foliage, and then fish, and then animals. So he's going through this list, and after everyone, it says, God said, he spoke, so he's communicating, he, all this stuff comes into existence, and then afterwards, God would say, it is good. And then in verse 26, Look at what happens. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in His image. In the image of God, He created them Male and female, he created them. So we see right here that we are created in the image of God. If you flip over here to uh, Genesis chapter 9, it talks about why it's wrong to shed the innocent blood of another human being. And listen to the foundational principle on why it's wrong. Verse 6. Whoever sheds human blood, for by humans shall their blood be shed, for in the image of God has God made mankind. So first we see that men and women are created in the image of God. And here we see, once again, we are created in the image of God. And then if you flip all the way over to the New Testament, it talks about this over and over, but this is where it says it most plainly is in James chapter 3, verse 9, where it says, With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse human beings, who have been made in the likeness of God. They've been made in the likeness of God. So what you see here over and over again, Old Testament and New Testament, is that we have been created in the image of God. Now, why is that significant? Well, the reason why is because you basically have two options on what to believe today in this world. The first one is, is that since we've, uh, uh, it's called scientific materialism, secular humanism, or atheism in a nutshell, and it basically postulates this. Since the world is all that exists, the material world, nothing beyond it, we evolved, and we evolved from nothing into what we are today. And so one of the leading atheists out there, uh, Sam Harris, he's a contemporary of Bill Maher, but they all talk about how this is that there is no free will and there is no you that is you. 
you see? And everything about you that you think you have doesn't really exist. And all of the virtues like love and sacrifice and honor and courage and all these things are irrelevancies because the only thing that's driving us is a subconscious base level DNA to be propagated to produce the species. That just doesn't sound like a whole lot of fun to me. Uh, the other option is, is that you live in a cause-effect relationship, time-space continuum, right? It's cause-effect, cause-effect. Therefore, somebody had to start it all. And that's called the first cause, the uncaused cause, the eternal cause, which is God. And because God started it, we are a part of this creative act. And that means right here in Genesis where it says we're created in the image of God, you and I are created with his image in us. So what is part of that image? What it, does that mean? Does that mean I will be forever handsome with chiseled abs and a great jawline? I don't think so. But it does mean this. Listen to what happens here. I want to go back to chapter 1. If you read the first 25 verses, what you do, it says, God said, all right, they refer to him in the old Hebrew, Yahweh. And then what it says, this, it, sa it says, it, God said, and then it quotes him, and God said it was good. And they use singular pronouns. But then Moses, as he's recording this, notice what he quotes God is saying in verse 26. Then God said, so it's exactly like every other verse before that when God creates, he says, but he changes. He says, let us, he changes to a plural pronoun all of a sudden. Let us make man in kind in our image. Did you catch that? In our likeness. So is that fascinating? He goes from a singular to a plural pronoun right there in that verse showing us that he's referencing, this is the first reference to God the Father, Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit, the three in one. See, so from Genesis chapter one, right there, and that's why Jesus looked at the Pharisees and said, hey, you bunch of knuckleheads, why can't you get it? Right? It's right there. But right at the very, very beginning, we see this relational component of the image of God created into you and to me. And if you flip over, chapter 1 is kind of like a, an overview. And then in Genesis chapter 2, uh, Moses goes back and gets more detailed. And he gets really detailed about why God created males and females. And if you look at verse 18, it's really interesting because God looks around. He creates heavens and the earth. Oh, that's good. Separate light from darkness. Oh, that's good. Uh, you know, land from sea. Oh, that's good. He says, wow, fish and all the kinds of things in the ocean. Oh, that's good. Oh, we've got uh, birds of the air. We've got all the animals and we got all, you know, all the fruit trees out there. Oh, that's good. Oh, we got a man in there and he's by himself. That's not good. There's not anything good about that. You know, he says, verse 18, the Lord said, it is not good for a man to be alone. I will make a helper corresponding to him. And so from this day forward, from the very beginning, it's always been is that when men and women get along, when men and women come together in relationship, when men and women complement each other, guess what? We reflect more fully the image of God in us. All right? Now, I don't want you to skip over this or miss this. I just want this to kind of settle in on us because this is the foundational principle of all of our Bible study 
throughout this entire series is that we are created in the image of God, and that means our first principle is that you are designed for relationships. It is in your nature. You are a relational creature. And if that's true, if that's a fact, then to truly be alive, I must know how relationships influence me to truly uh, be the person that I believe that God wants me to become. I need to understand relationships. In order to find myself, right, I have to understand how relationships influence me. I need to understand the connection between courageous living and the relationships in my life. I need to understand how relationships influence my success. I need to understand how relationships are directly linked to my happiness and my fulfillment in life, to true love, authentic living. If I don't understand those connections, then all those things are out of reach. You see, our relationships have so much to do with the type of life we live, where we go in life, and how we feel about it when we're all done. We look back and we, all the relationship stories that we have written will be chapters in our book of life we will look back on and we will decide, wow, is that a, I'm a hero or I'm the villain? You see, that's our choice. And relationships are key to understanding how to write the story you want to write. Since we're on the football thing, uh, uh, one one guy that I really like uh, was Kurt Warner, the uh, uh, Super Bowl winning quarterback. Uh, He's now an analyst. He was an MVP. And his story is one that even today, you know, everybody who are in, in the football uh, tell over and over again. And the reason why is because before he went uh, to play, uh, the Rams were in the Midwest, and then they went down, and then they became the Cardinals, right? And he was a quarterback. And while he was there, they won the Super Bowl there, and then he won the Super Bowl down there in uh, Phoenix. And he's an MVP. But before he got his chance, what was really fascinating about it is he was stocking or bagging groceries in a grocery store. Right? Nobody wanted him. Nobody gave up on him. But the, uh, in LA, uh, well, it wasn't the LA, it was the St. Louis Rams at that time. But they, what happened is they uh, lost their quarterbacks due to injuries. They call him, he comes, and then he takes over the offense and it becomes this high-powered offense. It's unbelievable. And so today, and when he was really, really, you know, the MVP popular and so forth, he always talked about his wife and how important his wife was. And one time a reporter was kind of joshing around with him and say, well, why why is she so important or something like that? He said, because she loved me when I was bagging groceries for a living. And if it wasn't for her believing me then, then I wouldn't be where I am now. You see, relationships had a huge impact on his success. What about Kevin Durant? Now, I don't know if Kevin Durant is a good guy or a bad guy. Uh, I'm not trying to uphold him as any uh, model of, uh, uh, of success in regards to morality. But I will say this. He's a great basketball player, 
And when he won the NBA MVP, he stood before everybody and he said, you know who the real MVP is? It's my mom. Because my mom raised me and my brother as a single mom in an apartment with no furniture, when sometimes all we had to eat was soup. And because of what my mom did and because of the sacrifices she made, I'm here today. So my mom is a real MVP. Well, I, I respect that. See, that relationship of his mother is what made it hit possible for him to hit the heights of basketball. Here's a factoid that has something to do with what we're talking about today, and that is this. Did you know there's just over 200 billionaires in the world globally? 200 of them. 180 of them are still married to their high school sweethearts. Yeah, Tony Stark is not real. <laughs> He's made up, by the way. Okay? Real billionaires are married to their high school sweethearts. Do you think that has anything to do with their success? I would say yes, it does. You see, relationships are so powerful and important in your life because they influence you across the board because you're created in the image of God. And because you're created in the image of God and because relationships are so important to you, learning how to view relationships, learning how they influence you, learning how to be more skilled and better has a massive impact on your life across the board. Just a couple things. If you're created in the image of God and you really believe that and live that way, then whenever you value relationships, you're understanding your very nature of what it means to be created in the image of God. Think about that for a second. By, by valuing relationships, I'm actually understanding my own nature and my own value. This is a reminder. You've all heard it before, but reminders are good. At the end of your life, at the very end, if someone interviews you, you're not going to say, I wish I closed one more deal, I had more stocks in my portfolio, or more followers on my Instagram. You're not going to say that. What are you going to say? I wish I would have spent more time with fill in the blank, right? Isn't that true? I was listening to the last interview with Billy Graham before he died. You know what he's, they said, well, do you have any regrets or do you have any things that you wish you could change? He goes, the one thing I wish I would have changed in my life is I wish I would have spent more time praying to God, telling him that I love him. It's relational. Our relationships influence us in ways we'll never imagine, can never understand, but it's because we're created in the image of God. And when we value relationships, that's different than valuing people. When we value relationships and their importance in our life, what happens is we discover things about our own nature that we could never imagine. Here's another one. If I'm created in the image of God, when I work and invest on the most important relationships in my life, my relationship with Jesus grows and vice versa. It's really interesting because uh, I, I'm an upstream uh, person, uh, just by nature of being a pastor and so forth. But I always believe if you solve the root issue, everything else gets fixed, right? Otherwise, you're just treating a symptom. And symptoms are always changing if you never solve the root problem. 
I remember years and years and years and years ago, uh, a young lady who was probably 16, 17 years old uh, came in, and she was having a lot of issues with uh, self-worth and, and uh, value and all this stuff. And so I asked her, I said, well, do you believe in God? And she said, I don't know. And I said, well, have you ever thought about where your value comes from? So we talked about that. We talked about other things. And so it was really interesting because her mom called me afterwards and said, I said, well, was, was anything valuable? And, and she reported to me, she said, well, my daughter was like, you know, wanting some answers to some of her issues, but she said you kept talking about God instead. And I go, well, yes, that's exactly right. You see, oftentimes what we do is we want a practical answer to a symptom, but we never focus on the root, the upstream issue. And if we fix the upstream issue, guess what happens downstream? Everything gets fixed without even trying. If your marriage is in a rough spot, I can tell you one thing. Praying to God, asking Him to fix it is not the answer you need. Praying to God and saying, God, I don't know you well enough and I need more of you in my life, that's how you fix it. If your family and you're struggling with raising your kids, it's like, I need three points to fix my kids. Well, first of all, your kids are growing and those things are going to change in five minutes. Um, I know because I've tried it. Uh, but, but really what you want to do is like, the more I pursue Christ and the more I know Him, then guess what? The more I know myself and I know my own insecurities, I know my own issues. So then when I deal with my kids, I'm not in power struggles with them. I'm not in criticizing them. I'm not parenting them out of my insecurities. What I'm doing is I'm saying, hey, I can be honest with you, my 16-year-old. This is where I'm growing in my life. I don't want you to have to deal with the same things, and let's work through this in a way. It just totally transforms your parenting. Why? Because you're drawing closer to Christ. There's a direct correlation. When I work and invest on growing my relationships, I grow closer to Christ and vice versa. The more I go to Christ, the closer I grow to Christ, the more my relationships change. Wow, I got that out. The third thing I want you to understand is that every relationship then difficulty that you have, every relationship problem, every relationship failure changes in your life. You see, if you're created in the image of God and you have a relationship struggle, guess what? That becomes an opportunity to learn about yourself, learn about people, and learn about your relationship with God. Here's an axiom, meaning it's a truth that's always true no matter what. Because you're created in the image of God and by nature a relational being, guess what? You always learn something from all relationships. The question is, or the choice that you have, is what you learn. Will it be a negative or will it be a positive? Many, many years ago, probably 15 years ago, maybe even 20 years ago, my goodness, time flies, there was a, a, a young couple that came in uh, to get premarital counseling, and they want to get married. And so I always ask them, tell me your story, tell me your story, tell me your story. And they had been dating for over six years before they even got engaged. And I was like, wow, that's kind of long to make up your mind. <laughs> and they go, well, no, let us explain. We met in high school, seniors in high school. And he said, I grew up in a home 
where my mom and my dad got divorced when I was probably five or six. And so my dad then went off and he got married three or four times and divorced and lived with girls and did all this kind of stuff. My mom, she stayed single for like two or three years before she even started dating. Then she met this guy, dated him. He was a strong Christian man and they got married. And he said, so what happened is when I met this girl, I treated girls like my dad treated women. And so our relationship was toxic. I mean, it was toxic. We were so bad for each other. He says, but then what happened is, you know, we struggled. It was a mess. We struggled a mess. But after about two years of that, what happened is I stopped treating her and relating to her like my model of my dad. And I started to look at my stepdad and my mom. And that's when we started to change and build a real relationship together. And what happened is over time, it just got healthier and healthier and healthier. He said, so the bottom line is I just quit doing it like my dad, and I did it like my stepdad. You see, we learn something from our relationships, whether we know it or not. And the person who takes time to evaluate what they've learned, to ask themselves some tough questions, to think about where they are and how it's influenced them in their past uh, uh, living, guess what? Those are the people that grow the most. Those are the people whose relationships become the most powerful, positive forces in their lives. I hope for you during this entire series that our time together allows you the capacity to do this because I want your relationships to grow your relationship with Jesus first, your relationship with yourself and understanding who you really are, and then your relationships with other people. Whether you're single and you're dating somebody, whether you're a parent raising kids, whether you're married, whether you're a blended family, whether you've lost your spouse and now you're a widow and you're trying to do life on your own, it doesn't matter. Whether you've started a business and you have coworkers, whether you are uh, in a neighborhood where you're trying to get along with people, all of these relationships have unique qualities that are similar. And the Bible teaches us what those are and how they influence our lives. Now, everybody at some point in their life needs a pastor, not a person who tells them what to do or what to think, but a person to help them grow, encourage them, get them to ask themselves some tough questions, allows them to evaluate themselves, kind of like a coach does. If you're new or you're watching online, over the course of this series, give me permission to be your pastor so that you can discover more about relationships, how they influence you, and how you can grow in every area of your life. Because I want you to write a storybook ending, not a Greek tragedy. Thank you for listening to this Sermon of the Week. Video footage of this sermon and others can be found on foothills.org.